message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Well, a uh, quick question to, to kick this off. Uh, does anyone hate to exchange things? Like you've purchased something, you have to bring it back. Does anyone, they're just me. I, man, is anyone like good at it? Like you, like you don't mind, like you, you can even do it like online, Amazon. I don't think I've ever returned something from Amazon. I know it's supposedly easy. It just freaks me out. But, but there's this one time where I got to exchange. It was kind of the coolest exchange thing ever. We, all of a sudden, we got this package in the mail from Nordstrom. Um, which was odd for us, and we're like, we open it up, and it is um, kind of this this strange um, full body suit, women's bathing suit that showed up in the mail. I'm like, Jen, <laughs> 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 this is not your style. And um, and she's like, I didn't order. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't order? So um, I you know I called the number, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is ours. And they looked at the records, like, well, we can't take it back, like we, you know, this is, you know, it's yours, <laughs> like, oh, wow, we have a full suit women's bathing suit from Nordstrom, and we, we look it up, and it was like $250 bathing suit, and, and I was, and so I'm like talking to them on the phone, I'm like, so what, am I, can I exchange this, and they're like, and they're like, I guess, I'm like, cool, so, <laughs> Sweet blessings from the Lord, you know, so, <laughs> Walked into Nordstrom and brought my full-length women's bathing suit to the front counter. <laughs> I don't want this anymore. <laughs> and Nordstrom, if you don't know this, has a great exchange policy. They will give you not only give card, they'll give you cash for whatever you got. And so it was like this amazing, like it was my birthday, and just out of the blue, no reason. And so we just got like all this money, and we got to go spend on Nordstrom, though we had nothing to do with it. And we made, it wasn't like dishonest. We called the number, like, no, this is fine. This is yours. It was our mistake. Go ahead and do this thing. And I, I always remember that. I'm like, that was so cool. And uh, this morning, the reason I bring up that story is uh, this morning we're talking about how God exchanges things. And as cool as it is to get a full-body woman's bathing suit from Nordstrom in the mail, the kind of exchange that God gives us is so extraordinary. And so we're going to be spending this morning talking about this idea of the things in life that we have that God asks for and the things that he gives us in exchange for those things. Um, and they are miraculous and beautiful and marvelous. And I'm so excited. We are we are ending um, really the, the series. Um, we might have like another closing one next week. We're really kind of ending our series on the heart renovation. And we're ending it with this idea, again, from Isaiah 61, um, of exactly what Jesus came to do, how we live in response to that, our behavior and our actions, is not only that God has exchanged things in our life, but we can now get to be a part of this great exchange that the people that we interact with in our life, we're not giving them what they deserve. We're giving them what we've been given through Christ, which is not what we deserve, but is far more gracious and favorable than anything we could have ever asked for or earned. And that we're called to live in that same exchange with other people. And so I'm really excited for this morning as we kind of dive into the last verse of Isaiah 61, verse 3, that we've been going over the last few weeks. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to go ahead and read it uh, for the last time. 
It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. At this point, this has been a bestowing upon, right? This has been what God is doing and proclaiming. And what's happening here is he's now showing us how this takes place. It's not just a giving, but now it's like, this is how you're going to walk, and this is how it's actually going to look out. So in starting in verse 3, it says this, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Remember, this is written to a people who are well acquainted with grief. Understand loss, brokenness, pain, torture, hopelessness. This is for them. And he says, for all those who are grieving in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I mean, what a magnificent piece of literature, right? And I don't know where you stand with Jesus, but this is good news. And so there's a graph I'm going to pull up on the screen uh, this morning that I kind of wanted to walk through what, what is actually happening in this exchange that Isaiah, through the Holy Spirit, is talking about. This is what Jesus came to do, came to bring. This is how this is going to be playing out. So first is look at this left column here. And if you notice, there is a movement from ashes to mourning to spirit of despair that is moving from outward to inward. Often, this is how pain works. Pain often begins outwardly in our circumstances or things like that, but the real pain goes deeper and deeper. And so it begins with this idea of ashes. Ashes is an outward representation of pain. Uh, ashes in that culture were used to, to let everyone else know that you're in pain. It was a symbol. And so what they would do, the scripture's talking about people rolling in ashes to cover their body with it. Job does this after his loss. Um, people will sit upon a heap of ashes as, again, a symbol to those around them of what they are, are feeling. Uh, they would oftentimes, when ashes were used, they would use sackcloth. Um, sackcloth is goat's hair that you would wear reversed. So you would wear the, the rough, uh, non-pleasant side against your body as, again, as, as a showing physical sign of what's happening. After he talks about ashes, he moves to mourning. This is, this is a heart condition that often takes place after loss, after grief, a death, or, or bad news. And so mourning looks, just mourning in that context, that culture, a few things to point out. Number one, it was ritualistic, meaning we think of mourning as, a, as an emotional response. In ancient time, mourning was not just that. It was a communal ritualistic response. There was a certain amount of days that were given to you, and all you were to do was mourn. And not just you. It was a communal thing as well. There would be hired mourners to come around you. So you would not be alone. 
And so for seven days straight, and then another group of them for another month would just be there. Um, And again, there would probably be people there you knew as well. But it was this community moment just to say, you're in mourning. We're with you. We're not leaving. We're going to cry out with you. Another thing that we can look at kind of the ancient form of mourning is that they would refrain from washing or putting on perfume. And so, again, you begin to not just see the ashes, the sackcloth, the mourning. You begin to even start smelling. I mean, it is a holistic sense of what's happening here. Um, and the last thing they do is they would stop eating when they were mourning. And then the last thing is you'd move from beyond the heart to the innermost part that the, the Jewish mindset had. This is your inner part, what's called your spirit. And I said, you have a, a spirit of despair. And the people who are listening to this can identify with this. This is not just a, an outward expression. This is not even just an emotional response. No, this is the deepest part of who we are is in despair, in your spirit. And the, the Hebrew word here for despair is the word for a flickering wick that's about to run out. It is the spirit, the innermost part of a person that is about to be gone. And so this is who he's talking to. You who are grieving in Zion with ashes and mourning and a spirit of despair, there is an exchange about to happen. And if you notice the, the, the right column, there is this transformative movement that's from top to bottom. First it goes outward to inward. Now this is, again, it's, it's another way of just saying, no, this is going to be complete and full in its work. And so it begins with a crown of beauty. Crown of beauty is, is kind of a poor translation. You would think of, of a royal kind of crown. Uh, the proper translation is garland. Um, so think of, of a kind of a, whether it's with olive leaves or flowers, it's this beautiful, ornate headdress. And it, and it literally in the Hebrew repeats it. Crown of beauty is actually the, the same two words. It's garland of garlands. Or Perea Perea, it, it is the most exquisite version of this headdress that you could put on. Uh, next there, it moves in talking about, instead of, of mourning, right, instead, first off, instead of this outward expression of ashes, you have an outward expression of this garland, garland of garlands, this beautiful headdress placed upon you. And then when you're mourning, when you don't bathe, when you don't put on lotions and, and oils like they would in ancient times, you are given an oil of joy. Now, now oil is used in three different times in Scripture. One is it's, it's poured on priests. So we have this image in the Psalms of being poured on the, the head of Aaron going down Aaron's beard. It was given to kings, setting apart for a new work that you have been set apart by God. And is also a symbol of a bride that was waiting for their groom to come that Jesus uses later on. And then lastly, when it talks about the spirit of despair, the innermost part of who you are, it says, there will be this garment of praise. And this is an interesting kind of word picture as well. A garment, this specific word, is something that covers your whole body. Imagine a wrapping around. And it is, it is something in that culture that you didn't put on yourself. This garment of praise with this beautiful ornate that was either given to the high priest, a king, um, and you would put it over their entire body, but you wouldn't put it on yourself. It would be put on for you. 
And all of these, and you can start seeing the contrast of what's, what's happening here. This is the exchange of the kingdom of God. This is one reality that many of us have lived in and some of you are living in right now. But there's another reality that is present with Jesus and is coming in fullness as he comes again. And this great exchange is not just something that we get to look forward to and experience. This is something that we are called to live into and express. When we encounter people on the left column, we get to go and bring the right column. We get to go and say, let me tell you about an exchange I've encountered with Jesus. Charles Spurgeon who is a British preacher around the turn of the 19th century, says this, We wear not a sordid vesture of dishonor, nor the costume of a prison, or the rags of beggary, nor the black robe of condemnation, but a garment of honor and of praise. Every child of God should be clothed with the garments of salvation. His Savior has prepared them for this end. Let him wrap them about him and be glad, for these garments make him beautiful in the sight of God. I mean, what an amazing picture. And so as I was thinking about the interview that we would do today, and for those who are new to our church over the past few weeks, we've been having a series of interviews um, over the past few weeks of people in our church who have lived these things out. And, uh, there, and the reason for that is it's easy for you to come and hear a lecture or to hear someone talking about this. But what's amazing is there's people in our church who are just, this is a part of what they've done. And so far, we've talked about people who have kind of committed their life to uh, maybe a work a nonprofit, things like that. And today, we're going to be interviewing two different people, some in the morning and another person at night, who have taken a step out of maybe what was their kind of normal rhythm of life to go and be a part of this great exchange. So I'm gonna invite Mark and Christine uh, up here to join me. Can you guys put your hands together for them as they come? These guys are, are, are legends. Um, not just only in our church, but in our family. So Christine is Jen's mom. And, um, and Mark has become just an incredible part of your family as they got married a couple years ago and have walked through that left side of the column, both of them, have walked through incredible loss and at the same time has seen God just work redemptively uh, in their life. And uh, this past spring, you guys um, got to go on a trip. And I would love for you just to kind of share um, about that trip, because this is, this is available to everyone. This is a, an opportunity that we could do that. But there's some, I think, some really cool things that you guys saw that I'd love for uh, you guys just to kind of talk about. Um, so first, can you um, just kind of tell us about the trip, how that came about? This is not the first time you've been on this trip. And, um, and maybe just share with us just some of the things um, that you guys accomplished on the trip, just some of the practical needs that were met, things like that. Sure. Uh, we went with a group called Reaching the Hungry. As some of you have, may have met Carlos and Lisa Salas. They live in Fallbrook. And about 10 years ago, they were called to create a, 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 a small nonprofit called Reaching the Hungry. And uh, Carlos, uh, over the last several years, has established uh, relationships with Christian nationals in Malawi and in other countries, but Malawi is right there with Haiti, vying for the poorest uh, countries in the world, and um, 
So he invited us to, to go to, with him to Malawi um, to provide some uh, basic physical needs such as clean water and um, glasses uh, for people who struggle with eyesight issues, as we all do. Uh, many of us do. And, not um, me, so I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and so by, uh, we were able to um, establish um, above-ground pumps for the below-ground wells. Most people in Malawi uh, have a well, which is basically a hole in the ground, which goes deep enough to reach the, the water. Uh, unfortunately, half of all children under age five uh, die because of waterborne diseases. Wow. And so what a, a pump does is it allows the, um, the cleaner water below the surface to be brought up with a simple pump, which uh, um, Carlos found in India for $2,000. Um, they have a pump shipped from India to Malawi. We pick up that equipment in Malawi and then we will go out into the villages around the capital city of Lalongwe. And we can do anywhere from one, two, or three wells per day, depending on how many of us are in the, in the group. And so we have a van, we have the equipment, and while the, the men in the village are making bricks and they have uh, sand to build a little foundation for the well, we are working with other men to measure cut pipe, assemble the pump, and by the end of the day, they have the ability to bring clean water from below wow. the surface. It's fantastic. Unbelievable. It's, it is amazing. So, Man, it's just so wild to think about when they don't have access to that clean water, the devastation that's, that's caused. Um, um, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> you tell us, um, you mentioned this story in a service a few months back, but not everyone got to hear that story um, of a little boy that you came across. And um, there, is, there is some practical needs that you guys went to meet, but there's also some like, deeper emotional needs that you guys just got to meet just by simply being there. Can you tell that yes. story? So uh, when the men were working on the wells with the other men and the young men in the villages, uh, the little children, we'd have ministry with the little children and also with women. The women would come. They would greet us with, with singing and dancing, and it was really special. Um, but we would sit down with the little children, and we would work on little projects. And they don't, you know, they don't have access to water. They come with their little hands are dirty, and, and, and they, but we get a chance to touch them which is so sweet. You know, we, we were making them little bracelets and we're just, we're able to put them on their wrists and be able to bless them. And they hear about Jesus. Um, we had a lady that was, she's a teacher. If you can imagine this, she teaches in the long way, which is the capital city of, of Malawi. And she, her, she teaches junior high and she has 200 students in her classroom, wow. if you can imagine that. So, but she's very, she just, grabs their attention and is able to tell them all about Jesus and they played this game and once they played the game they either made a little bracelet which is the little one with the, the colors that talks about Jesus dying on the cross and so anyway I always um, one day I was we were sitting making crosses with the children after the story had been told and this little boy we, we had her she was interpreting for me and I asked him what his name was and we were asking other children and their names were like there's wonderful or princess or queen or you know sweet 
sweet happenings. And he said to me, mistake. And it just, I, it kind of jolted me from it. And I said, could you ask him again what, what his name is? And he said, mistake. And I just looked at that little boy and I just took his hands and I just prayed. Even the, the song the, talking about the redemption and the exchange of what God's kingdom can bring to this little boy, that this little boy, is, his name is Mistake, that God can use this little boy to do amazing things and, and bring his redemption to others, even as he learns that God doesn't make mistakes, that he's priceless and precious in his sight. So I was just able to, you know, through the interpreter, just speak to him, talk to him, and make the little cross with him, showing him how his hands would go. And I think it's so sweet because... You know, there's children that came. There was a little girl one day that she just caught my attention. And she, you could tell she was sick. She, she had like a, you know, she had a runny nose and just was, you could tell she wasn't feeling well. And um, I asked her what her name was, and her name was Christine. And my name is Christine. And I just, I just, you know, you just feel so, so like, Lord, you just want, I just want to pray for these little children He's got purpose and plan for each of these little children that wow. that um, that just we, we cannot imagine. So yeah, so that amazing. Was, just touched my heart so much. That little I love boy. <laughs> love the story. Um, and you guys show the, the Jesus film. You guys do that. Yeah. Um, can you just tell us about what that's like? And you bet. So once the will was completed, uh, we asked the village uh, chief to step up and be the first one to pump it so they can see the water come. And then with a, through an interpreter, we would talk to the village about, about um, the water that comes from that ground that provides life. But there, there's another kind of water, living water, that, that um, once you partake of that, you're never you never thirst again. And wow. so uh, the village would give us the opportunity to speak because we had earned the right by doing something, a tangible yeah. gift of love for them. And so we would then ask them to, to stick around. We had a portable um, projector and we'd set up a portable screen. We, could, we did it on a big dirt field wherever we went. There are plenty of big dirt fields. And uh, they would all come by the hundreds and hundreds, many of whom who had never seen a projector or a movie. This is like the first time experience. What is this? And well, there they're seeing the life of Jesus Christ and who's speaking in their language, in their tongue. Wow. And um, at the end, when we would ask them if they would like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, every single arm would go up. It was powerful. Yeah. Incredible. I just was reading statistics on the Jesus film. Do you remember what those were? There's a lot. <laughs> a lot. The amount, gosh, I feel like it's closing in on a billion people around the world have seen the Jesus film. Um, like a seventh of the world has seen, I mean, it just like was blowing my mind. I was, I was thinking about that, that tool has been used. Um, and lastly, just anything else that like you felt like God show you or bless you with just while you guys were on that trip? I just feel like, you know, we go there to uh, bring Jesus to them. But when we come into the villages, they're just so excited. Like one of the chiefs told us there hadn't been a white person. We go to pretty, pretty remote villages. So they're not right next. You have to drive a long way on 
bumpy roads as you're going and you know you're just like yeah it's it's really fun and interesting um and uh, but but when we get there the whole community of the the ladies just come out and dance and sing and the little children with their joy and their smiles and they're just so so thankful and grateful and i just remember one time after we had uh, done the the wells one of the chiefs came out, and his, he was so thankful. He brought us a chicken. And so we were just like, okay, well, thank you so much. You know, but you think Bring out the it. chicken. We that brought was, him here today. Just that kidding. Was, <laughs> <laughs> but that was so huge because I, I was able to walk into the kitchen of one of the little, which I say kitchen. It's a hut with a little hole, and there's the, the wood goes underneath and the little pot's on top. And that's what they made, like a, a, a dinner for us. But a chicken is their, that's their dinner. That's, they don't eat meat all the time and so wow. it was a huge you didn't you know it's just you think we go to give Jesus life and love and and we, we receive so much back because you just become so grateful for for the opportunity to have to have with this with such wonderful people it just is so overwhelming I yeah. love it hey can we thank Mark and Christine for sharing Yeah, we can show that. Let's show that. Let's show that video. So amazing. Isn't, isn't that moving? Just, you're watching like this song of life. You know, this like this very real reality. I mean, half of children under five will not survive because of waterborne illness and you see pure water for the first time coming in a well in your village. And like the joy that is just erupting in the hearts. Like I've watched that video like a half a dozen times and every time I'm like, oh man, it grips my heart because I'm just like, I'm so thankful, not only that there is a, a village that's happening, but this, this is what Jesus came to do. And, I, and the reason I loved your story and getting to hear this is your guys' work with Reaching the Hungry and Pastor Carlos addresses that kind of left side of the column. It is outward, right? It is practical needs that need to be met. It is fresh water that they desperately need. But there are emotional things that are being addressed. There are names being exchanged saying, hey, this is not who you are. This is who God says you are. And then at the deepest part of their spirit that has never heard about the living water that Jesus brings, they get to go bring it. And I was just, as I was thinking about this passage, I was just so blown away by what a gift that is. I think there's a website up there. If you, if you want to go on a trip, um, Go. Uh, we offer them about once or twice a year through Reaching the Hungry. They're incredible trips. They're not just to, to Malawi, which, again, desperately needs um, resources and needs people to go there. But there's other trips they take as well. But I wanted to take a minute and visit uh, about this column because I was studying this. And um, thank you for all the encouragement. A lot of you guys saw we posted on social media um, that my whole sermon, I deleted it on Thursday night. <laughs> I written the whole thing, 
And it was like, untitled three documents, save. I'm like, I don't need a blank piece of paper, delete. Well, it was my sermon. I just had to scroll down all the way. So um, I have yesterday um, got to step away and rewrite this, this sermon. But before that was all deleted, uh, um, I was telling Jen, I mean, I was so excited. We were in the kitchen. I was sharing with her. I'm like, there, there's something about this passage I was studying I'd never seen before, and I'm like, and I actually can't find it in any other commentary. I haven't seen any other scholar pick up on this, but the left side of the column is describing a funeral, and the right side of the column is describing a wedding, and we can even put up that, that graphic in if you want, and I was thinking about, I'm like, man, that, as I'm looking at the graph, and I'm studying about these things, I'm like, these things are all present at a funeral, and these things are all present scripturally in weddings. Maybe this is the great exchange. Maybe this is, and, and, and I started kind of going down, and if you keep reading the chapter, this isn't just a cool idea. I, I think contextually it proves that this is what he's talking about. If you go down to the end of this chapter in verse 10, in the same chapter of Isaiah 61, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest. The garland is what grooms were. This is, this is wedding attire. As a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. I mean, I was rocked because, to be honest, this actually made a lot of metaphorical sense for or the world we live in and the world we're longing for. And the tension we have in between. Because funerals and weddings actually have a lot in common. They're the two events where family and friends will fly in and drive from all around the country and around the world to be present at. They both cost a tremendous amount of money. There's a lot of care that goes into these events, a lot of honor that goes into these events. And I think it's why these pictures are so, so prevalent in, in what I think the Holy Spirit is revealing to Isaiah and what Jesus came to talk about is that this world right now, there's beauty in it. And we can even say that there is beauty even be found in a funeral. There's love and care. There's flowers. There's this there's essence of beauty. But at the same time, even when there's beauty present, there is this ache that exists. I'm like, isn't that our world? There's there's beauty and there's care and there's love, but there is this ache that exists in this world. But Jesus said, I've, I've come to tell you about an exchange. This world that can feel a lot like a funeral is going to someday feel a lot like a wedding. And I began to start thinking about the very first sermon Jesus ever gave was about a wedding. It was about a promise that someday there's going to be a wedding coming. And then I just realized that the first miracle Jesus ever did was at a wedding. And if you go to John's gospel in chapter 2, listen to this. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they were filled to the brim. 
Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water and had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone bring out the, brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he received his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, John records seven signs or seven miracles. And I'm just realizing this week as I'm studying things, the very first sermon, the very first miracle is all about a wedding. And the exchange is that this current state that we live in that can feel so much like a funeral sometimes is not where the story ends. You see, in this life, we often hope, we hope to begin with the wedding and we think the funeral will come afterwards, but in God's economy, it's switched. We may feel like a funeral right now, but there is a wedding coming. And it is going to be awesome. Um, we have, as a, as a church, we've had nine couples in Light Church get married this year. In, the, in seven months, we have had nine couples within our little community get married. We love weddings. So um, Jen and I have had the privilege of going to some of them, officiating some of them. And, and, I've, and I've just, I'm, I'm studying, I keep just thinking about these beautiful weddings. I, and I was thinking about, I was doing research that the average wedding in California costs $38,000 nowadays. Uh, in Manhattan, it's $75,000 average for a wedding. Um, Jen, Jen and I, like, we, went, we, did, we had a wedding of 300 people for $5,000. So we're like, yeah, we got, we got this. We serve a God of miracles. Um, but I was, I was actually thinking, I was thinking about my, my wedding, and uh, it was so beautiful. My bride was so beautiful. I was kind of unfortunate um, how I looked. Some of you guys have seen pictures, right? I'm, I just have this oversized white suit. I'm wearing um, white rainbow sandals that are also too big for me. Puka shell necklace. so cool. Just so cool. I have this like cool like emo hair with these like blonde strips in it. I just, I just look back at my, I just look back at my wedding pictures. I'm like, what? Why didn't anyone stop me? Like what? Where were my friends? Like where was my family? I said, you look ridiculous. You're ruining the wedding with how you're looking. Everything else looks great except for you. Like it's just, Come on, like you got to turn this around. Um, but no one cared enough, so hopefully. <laughs> but as I, as I think about, I think about that day, I think about, I mean, there's, there's so much that goes into a wedding. Weddings are costly. And so, so is the wedding that we're waiting for. It costs more than $38,000. It costs the Son of God, his life. Weddings are, are designed. I love, as an artist, I love walking into weddings and to see what people have chosen to do to, to display their own heart and their own unique creativity. 
And I've just started thinking about what will the wedding in heaven be like? What will that, that design, the beauty, the colors we will see, the things that the creator of the universe will have prepared? I think about, uh, I think about how everyone gets dressed up for weddings, even me, when I fail to do it well. <laughs> and Jesus talks about that there's a wedding garment we are called to wear, but it's interesting because if you remember, that garment is not put on by you. It is put on you by God, by the groom. It is placed upon you, that garment of praise. And if you feel like, I, don't, I can't wear this, you don't have to. It's placed upon you. You are wrapped in it. And last, just a little note about weddings, and maybe my favorite part is the food, right? It is a feast, you go and you eat and you drink and you enjoy life and you laugh and you dance and it is the celebration of life. And I just think about the words of Jesus as he sits at the communion table and says, I won't eat and drink of this until we do it together in heaven one day. Come on. Jesus is waiting for this moment so much He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to wait for you. And when you get there, when we get to heaven, when we see the great exchange happen, we are going to feast on the goodness of God like you could never have imagined. Revelations 19, the end of the Bible Verse six says, then I heard the sound like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen bright and clean are given her to wear. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. You are all invited to this wedding. I'm going to invite the the worship team to come up. I'd love to sing the second verse of come to the altar. You guys can go from there. As they come up, I want to read your quote from Henry Nouwen. It's one of my favorite authors. It says, just as in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus expresses here the great desire of his father to offer his children a banquet and his eagerness to get it going, even when those who are invited refuse to come. This invitation to a meal is an invitation to intimacy with God. This is especially clear at the Last Supper, shortly before Jesus' death. There he says to his disciples, From now on I tell you, I shall never again drink wine until the day I drink the new wine with you in the kingdom of my Father. And at the close of the New Testament, God's ultimate victory is described as a splendid wedding feast. The reign of the Lord our God Almighty has begun. Let us be glad and joyful and give glory to God because this is the time for the marriage of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you're here this morning and 
have tried to keep God at arm's length because of the ache of this life. This morning, I hope you know you are invited. You are invited to a great exchange. That the pain in this life, the funeral that we all walk through, is not forever. And what is forever is this glorious, beautiful, fulfilling, rich experience where we will feast with our God and Him with us. Come. We don't have to wait for death. We don't have to wait for the other side of heaven. We get to experience that now because Jesus told us after He reads us this today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. When we worship, when we come together and we recognize the presence of God, this is the same presence of God that is in in heaven right now. There is no different. This Holy Spirit is right here. But the invitation is yours. Will you step into it? Will you step into the presence of God, this, this incredible foretaste of what we will have forever? So as we sing this again, as we end this morning, I would just encourage you to long for, to step into, to press in, to say, Lord, what what my soul is craving, I want to have a foretaste now. I want to experience it now in your presence. To know your love, to know your goodness, to know your great exchange that you can do right now. So would you guys stand to your feet with me? This message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.